the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The Law Offices of Selwyn Whitehead is a debt relief agency under federal law and provides legal assistance to consumers seeking debt relief under the United States Bankruptcy Code. This is Selwyn's Law. Every week at this time, we get to hear from Selwyn Whitehead. She's not just an attorney at law. Selwyn knows her stuff and doesn't shy away from the truth, even when it's ugly. Her Bay Area practice focuses on helping her clients to manage their wealth through estate and tax planning, to managing their debt through reconstruction or bankruptcy. And now, it's time for Selwyn's Law. Good day, and welcome once again to Selwyn's Law. My name is Selwyn Whitehead, and I'm a California bar-admitted attorney, and I'm also a bankruptcy law certified specialist who's been certified by the State Bar of California's Board of Legal Specialization. And as I've shared with you in the past, in addition to my JD, I also hold a couple of master's degrees in law. That is to say, I am a master of the laws of taxation law, and I'm also a master of the laws of intellectual property law. Now, both of my great master's degrees were obtained from my favorite alma mater, Golden Gate University School of Law, which is located in the beautiful city of San Francisco, California. Now, because of my training, my experiences, and my lifelong interest in business and finance and wealth creation and wealth transfer and the role of these particular aspects of the social science of economics play in the lives of everyday people like you and me, I primarily practice bankruptcy law, but I also do debt wealth management, estates and trusts, real estate, and of course, taxation law. And as I've shared with you before, I'm proud to say that sometimes in my practice, I sometimes have the opportunity to seek out and at least attempt to vindicate the rights of seniors who find themselves the victims of some of the most pernicious forms of financial elder abuse that you can even imagine. And it has to do with our economy and more importantly, with the charlatans that are out there. So I tell everybody 65 or older, or if you're having some kind of diminished capacity, please don't be frightened by individuals that contact you by phone or over the Internet without first checking them out to make sure that you don't become a statistic as well. So I'm coming to you again today from my continued voluntary lockdown in my makeshift studios here in my home in another great world-class city, that is to say the always beautiful city of Oakland, California. And I come to discuss some of the financial and legal issues confronting individuals, families, and small business owners. However, I must once again preface my remarks by asking you to please note that this show does not provide any legal advice, nor am I developing an attorney-client relationship with anyone within the sound of my voice. Instead, this show strives strictly to serve as an educational forum for the exchange of information that might be helpful to you to begin your search for more detailed information that's tailored to your specific set of facts and circumstances and hopefully provide you with at least an outline of some of the key issues you may need to consider as you seek out and find qualified professional help. 
That is to say, especially if you're having a legal issue that's confronting or concerning your finances. And I do this because, as I'm known for saying, I believe that representing yourself in a financial matter is just like taking a butter knife to a gunfight. Again, if you're lucky and your adversary is napping, you might be able to sneak up on her and scratch her on the arm or even poke her in the eye with your butter knife. But more than likely, it is you that's going to be dead on arrival. And I'm not talking about you as a mortal human being. I'm talking about your valid claims and or your righteous defenses as they will likely see the promised land way before you do, because quite frankly, you're going to be outmanned or womaned and outgunned. So once again, I must share with you the purpose of Selwyn's Law, in case you haven't guessed, is to discuss the law related to your money or more probably in these trying times, the lack thereof and your overall finances and what you may need to consider to protect your and or your families and or your small businesses and or your employees, financial, health, wealth and money related well-being as I understand these concepts in this non-threatening educational form. Now, those of you who are regular listeners know that for the past few weeks I've been discussing what, in my opinion, are the three key business contract related COVID-19 economic survival tactics I think small business owners need to consider and make part of their overall long-term strategy for keeping their businesses afloat until we get past this pandemic. And unfortunately, every day on the news, we see that the plan that our government, state, local, and federal has in place for dealing with the pandemic is falling apart at the seams. So that might mean we need to keep up these strategies for longer than was initially told to, for us to reach herd immunity via the vaccine. So it's even more important if you have a business that it's the sole means of taking care of you and your family, you need to put on your thinking cap and make sure that you look for all of the viable ways, viable legal and ethical ways to keep your businesses afloat until we get on the other side of the pandemic. And I think that there are three things, three tactics that we all need to consider. And that is to say, we at least need to have a working knowledge of these three tactics. One is how to defend yourself if you face eviction from concerning your commercial lease after your business has been shut down by government. And this is especially impacting restaurants, gymnasiums, and spas. There are other businesses as well, but I'm just seeing the major concentration in those three businesses. And um, some of us really liked to frequent those businesses, but we can't anymore uh, to various degrees because government has mandated that it's not safe for us to congregate there. So what is the small business owner going to do? First, like I said, they have to familiarize themselves with their commercial lease after it's been shut down. And they need to familiarize themselves with their insurance company because they might have to challenge their insurance company for denying a business interruption claim. I tell you, the insurers are going to, at first blush, deny the claim. So you're either going to have to do some real hard and fast 
uh, negotiations or you're going to have to visit with them in a court, a proper <laughs> jurisdiction. And the third thing you need to do is understand the pros and cons of filing for bankruptcy as as access to a potential neutral arena to deal with any negative issues that you discover upon review of your commercial lease or your insurance contract. So, uh, as you know, over the last few weeks, I've discussed the first two tactics. And that is to say, reading and understanding your commercial lease and the um, insurance contract until they become so familiar to you that their content, you know it as well as you know the names of your children, because you're going to have to work with your lawyer outside of bankruptcy to try to deal with this. So again, firstly, I suggest that the tenant in a commercial property that's still an ongoing executory contract look to their commercial rental contract to see if it contains a force majeure provision. And again, force majeure literally means act of God. And um, that is preventing the business owner from performing her duties and obligations under the rental contract, such as timely paying the rent. And I noted that an act of God normally also includes the lawful orders of a duly appointed or elected government official, or it also could include civil unrest, or it could be a war. Now, force majeure provisions in a rental lease agreement, as interpreted by a court of competent jurisdiction, may lead that court to find that the tenant is legally relieved of her duty to pay some or all of the rent under the circumstances for a time certain to be determined by that court. And similarly, I've suggested there there are several defenses that a tenant could use if their landlord moves to evict them. Um, And one of them is frustration of purpose, meaning that the the circumstances have so frustrated Millie's um, a high-end white linen tablecloth uh, restaurant with, you know, escargot uh, that doesn't translate or transfer very well in a uh, styrofoam container such that the purpose of her having a lease with her landlord, the purpose is, is no longer a, a, a valid uh, a reason to continue that lease. And then secondly, I suggested that small business owners thoroughly investigate their business insurance policy to familiarize themselves with the contours of the business interruption coverage, if there is any, and what they reasonably believe that they purchased as business interruption insurance. I've found that the only thing small business owners know about their commercial policy is that they paid a large premium for something their agent or broker called business interruption that they believe would replace their lost business income and provide them with funds for the additional expenses that they would incur if a covered event was to occur. However, unfortunately, and, and, uh, you know, this is just the the way it is, um, unfortunately, uh, as I've explained, the language in the insurance contract is full of riders and exclusions that may make the policy almost impossible to collect upon, especially in today's environment where most commercial insurance policy have excluded losses that are not directly related to a tangible loss of real or personal property, such as a fire that burns down your facility and destroys all your machinery. 
while it also specifically includes language that excludes losses related to viruses, bacteria, and fungi. So what's a little girl or a little boy commercial tenant supposed to do? Well, there's a third strategy that comes into play. We really need to have a clear understanding of the pros and cons of filing for bankruptcy in order to find that neutral arena to deal with any negative issues discovered upon our review of our commercial lease or our commercial insurance contract. So when we come back, we're going to continue today's important topic. The three things a business owner needs to consider to try to save our businesses that have been shut down by governmental mandate due to COVID-19 by looking at the bankruptcy court as a potential safe harbor to sort out our business contract relationships. But first, we're going to take a short break and I'll see you on the other side. back to Selwyn's Law. Once again, your host, Selwyn Whitehead. Welcome back to Selwyn's Law. As we continue today's important topic, the three things small business owners need to consider to try to save our businesses that have been shut down by governmental mandate due to the COVID-19 pandemic. And we're going to do this today by looking at the bankruptcy court as a possible safe harbor that will allow us the time to sort out our various business contractual relationships, especially those dealing with our commercial lease and potentially our insurance contract. Now, before we took the break, we were summing up the key reasons for examining our commercial lease agreement to see if it contained a force majeure provision that might a court might find legally sufficient to relieve a business owner of her duty to pay some or all of her contract rent. And we were also summing up on why it's important for us to examine our commercial insurance policy to see if it could possibly provide the funds we need to cover our lost income and provide us with the additional business expenses we need while we rebuild our business. So... The final tactic that I want to discuss is the fact that I believe economically distressed business owners need to undertake. That is to say, they need to consult with a knowledgeable bankruptcy attorney to discuss the pros and cons of possibly filing for bankruptcy in order to obtain the protection of the United States Bankruptcy Court. Now, the United States Bankruptcy Court is a federal court in equity. So, if one could obtain the protection of the United States Bankruptcy Court, it might just provide the uh, small business owners the space from their uh, creditors and the time for that owner to try to figure out if she can either save her business through court-supervised reorganization or shut down the business permanently through an orderly court-supervised liquidation and then get on with her life by starting a new business or getting a job or both. 
Now, business owners should know that one of the bankruptcy court's most powerful rehabilitation tools in a reorganization kind of bankruptcy is the court's ability to rewrite and modify existing contracts between debtors and their creditors. Let me say that again. This is one of the most powerful tools that a bankruptcy court has. The ability to rewrite contracts, contracts that were entered into honestly and earnestly, rewrite them and or modify these existing contracts between debtors and creditors. Now, just as an aside, you know, I run into people, they act like filing for bankruptcy is like, you know, being tortured or, you know, giving up your child or doing something horrible. And I tell people, you only need to read a newspaper or have been alive in the last 74 years or less to know that prominent people file for bankruptcy every day in order to get a bankruptcy court to rewrite or modify their existing contracts. And if so, people in the news can do it. You and your little restaurant, and I'm not being disrespectful, but that restaurant that's uh, maintained your family for the last 40 years or your gymnasium that provides people with an opportunity to maintain their health and employ, you know, your 20 or so uh, professionals that te- teach people how to work out or your day spa that so misses so much where she can go there and get a facial and a massage and make her feel good and, and you know, revitalize. If those big entities, major corporations, individuals that we all know, including some who are the president of the United States and, and his businesses, why do you think filing for bankruptcy is like a red badge uh, of 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 this of some kind of disdain, a scarlet letter. It's not. It's what you need to consider to keep your businesses going. Okay, and I'm 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 I'm, I'm not over exaggerating when I say that the mo- one of the most powerful tools of the bankruptcy court is its ability to rewrite and or modify existing contracts between debtors and creditors. As such, with the right advocacy and sufficient evidence once under the bankruptcy court's protection and as part of her business plan of reorganization, a small business owner or business of enterprise for that matter may be able to convince a bankruptcy judge to modify or even rewrite or even reject or even allow her to reassign her commercial lease with her landlord and or compel her insurer to make good on her insurance policy. In the vernacular of the streets, those are some pretty blanking awesome powers. And these are powers that are enshrined in our Constitution. Okay? First off, let's level set a bit. Why do I keep stating that the bankruptcy court or the bankruptcy courts are courts in equity? What does that mean? Well, to a layperson, in layperson's terms, courts in equity not only consider the specific facts and circumstances of each case, 
they also look to the public policy implications that form the basis for creating the statute or the law or the provision in the Constitution in the first place. For example, let's use this example. Say you don't stop at a stop sign because to do so would cause you to impede uh, the ambulance that's right up against your back bumper that is speeding to a hospital two blocks away. Now, while it's true that you could be ticketed and found guilty of a traffic infraction in traffic court for not stopping at that stop sign, however, because the baseline of traffic laws are to protect the public with standard rules of the road, a court in equity might find that your infraction, when looking at the totality of the circumstances, should be overlooked because you're getting out of the way of the emergency vehicle that has its headlights flashing and its sirens bearing, uh, blaring served a higher purpose. That is to say, you're getting out of the way allowed the ambulance to get through the hospital without having another automobile wreck right there at the stop sign and possibly save somebody's life. Now, the same can be said of the equitable powers in the United States Bankruptcy Court. Overriding, there's the overriding public policy goal of reorganizing a distressed business while the business is in bankruptcy. And that overriding public policy may subordinate other legal rights and policies that would be paramount outside the walls of the bankruptcy court. That is to say, you go into state court and fight over a commercial lease. If you haven't paid your, your rent, you're going to get evicted. And so that, that's just the way it is. And, you know, an insurance company outside of a bankruptcy court likely will be able to not have to pay your business interruption insurance. Therefore, the bankruptcy court, under its powers enshrined as a court in equity, has a duty to look at not only the language contained in the terms of the commercial lease or the insurance contract, but also maybe it will be best for the distressed business that has acted in good faith to modify, in the one instance, the commercial lease or fully enforce the insurance contract, okay? One of the lease-related bankruptcy provisions uh, concerns a tenant's performance under an unexpired non-residential lease if you're dealing with a certain type of Chapter 11 case. Uh, Under the changes to the bankruptcy code that took place at the end of 2020, if you file a subchapter a five small business case, you get additional time to deal with performance under that case. And that means that any deferred obligation, such as unpaid rent, you get an additional 60 days to pay that after confirmation. That's one example. Also, under provisions of the bankruptcy code that change under sections 365D4, you get an additional time to catch up on your missed pre-petition rent. So when you file things that happen before you file a pre-petition 
when you file, things that happen after you file are post-petition. If somebody wants to keep a, a lease, they have to, go, on a going forward basis, stay current. But what about that six months or 10 months that you didn't pay? How do you deal with that? Well, you're going to have to catch that up. But under the bankruptcy code, you might have 210 days to catch that up. Now, think now, outside of bankruptcy, you're out of here, sister, if you can't pay your rent. And they're likely going to come after you for damages for the misrent. But in bankruptcy, you get to work with the court to modify your lease agreement. And, you know, you get some time to catch up. So I, I that's this is just some food for thought. With that said, I'm going to leave it there for now. But always in closing, I like to say here at Selwyn's Law, we always want to stay on the right side of the law especially when the law, such as the bankruptcy code, may be able to help us keep our businesses afloat so we can take care of our families and employees during this pandemic until most of us get vaccinated against COVID-19. So, till next time, mask up, keep your social distance, and wash your hands. See you next time. Thank you for taking the time to listen to Selwyn's Law. Remember, the law office of Selwyn Whitehead is a designated debt relief agency under the federal law and provides legal assistance to consumers seeking relief under the bankruptcy code. When it comes to your finances and your rights, seek no other than the law office of Selwyn Whitehead. Selwyn is your go-to finance attorney, specializing in estate planning, wealth management, bankruptcy, tax, and real estate law. In other words, Selwyn knows her way around the dollar, and your rights are protected by our laws. Protect your money. Know your rights. Partner with Selwyn Whitehead. For immediate assistance, or if you have questions, call 510-633-1276, 510-633-1276, or go to SelwynWhitehead.com. The preceding paid program is sponsored by the law office of Selwyn Whitehead, who is solely responsible for its content.